Since the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic, millions of Americans faced a two-part struggle, staying healthy and staying employed. Thanks for tuning in to season two of the Texas Public Policy Foundation's Road to Recovery podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Davis-Valdez, policy analyst with the Next Generation Texas team, where I focus on career and technical education and workforce development issues. Throughout this season, we'll be joined by business owners, educators, and experts who are finding innovative ways to help Texans of all ages prepare for and find great jobs in the post-COVID economy. Let's dive in. Okay, my guest today is Chris Ali. Chris, would you introduce yourself? Hey, everybody. Uh, my name is Chris. I'm the owner of Indoor Weather Professionals and HVAC Contractor here in Austin, Texas. Fantastic. We are here today to talk to small business owners and learn a little bit more about what it's like uh, to be a small business owner in the construction trades. And so that's going to be the theme of our conversation today with Chris and uh, perhaps even get into um, some of his thoughts about uh, great ways to train uh, and, and find great employees for these jobs. So my first question for you is, how did you get into uh, this business? Uh, well, I'm an engineer by trade. I worked for a couple of global corporations and uh, pretty much made a career out of that. Learned a lot of, of uh, management and running factories and things like that. So my wife actually found this company uh, for sale and we thought it would be a good opportunity. We actually were going to try to use a lot of the stuff that, that we do in, in corporate America to try to make this more profitable, more efficient. So that, that was that's originally what started it. Great. So you said you started out as an engineer. So engineering is famously kind of a combination of science plus application, um, but some engineering is more theoretical than other kinds of engineering. So why don't you talk to me a little bit about how you got interested in some of the more hands-on aspects of engineering and how that applied to your work when you worked for corporations and how that sort of translated over into your work in the HVAC space. Sure. Um, well, it was chemical engineering at A&M, and that program was pretty hands-on uh, as, as far as any school program can be. Mm -hmm. um, I also did internships at refineries, and that was very hands-on. Mm -hmm. uh, so the theoretical part of it, it's I think it's probably just like every university. It's very difficult, a lot of weed-out classes. You just spend all your time studying. Um, but then the, seeing it in application was a big game-changer for me, I think, when I sat in those refineries and just looked at the, I mean, the, the sheer noise, the size of the stuff. Um, you know, I, I tell people a kind of funny story that when I had done uh, mass transfer, which is like your distillation type stuff, I'd done all the calculations, passed the classes, and then I'm sitting inside of a distillation tower probably two years after I had made a big fat C in that class. And, and I'm cleaning out some little, some little metal pieces. And all of a sudden it was, I just understood it. I'm just standing there going, oh, that's what we've been studying for the last two years. <laughs> so I think, I think I always had, I mean, I, I love, I love the physical aspect of the mm -hmm. stuff. I, I like to see it happen. That's really interesting. So you, you got sort of both um, passions, I think the theoretical side, but then also an appreciation for the physical world. And so one of the things I want to ask you is as you're getting this business going, as you, you, sort of this whole new endeavor in your life, what are some of the things that you identify as challenges in terms of finding the right people 
uh, to staff your business and to grow your business? So I think that's that depends a lot on the size. So we're fairly small. Uh, eight to 10 employees is about normal for us. Um, we've got some special considerations there because we just don't have the time to take someone who's brand spanking new mm-hmm. and get them trained up. Mm-hmm. So we need somebody who's going to at least have some experience or, or be a real self-driven starter if, if, if they don't have any experience. Mm-hmm. So I think with a lot of the, the larger firms, when you when you start getting up around 20, 30 technicians, um, I think a lot of their in-house training is actually pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know I know firms that will bring people in for like a one-week onboarding or a two-week onboarding. And it's not just the HR stuff. They actually mm-hmm. sit them in class and have them physically do things. Um, I was talking to an electrician recently who, who said that their goal was to have somebody who's brand making new after I think it's a week in their, in their case could go out in the field and not anger the journeyman who was running that job. <laughs> <laughs> so that's just really, you know, knowing the names of things, knowing how to, in their case, twist two pieces of wires together that in the way that they're supposed to do it. Right. So that, that allows a journeyman to kind of pick up on the, on the deeper concepts and not just the basics. Right. So one of the things that I I like to sort of think through is what are some of the skills that are maybe not as easy to sort of see that you would hope that you could find more of as you're looking out for for kinds of jobs? So we hear a lot about soft skills. A lot of people misunderstand what that term means. What does it mean to you? Soft skills to me is like it's specifically things that are going to have to do with human interaction. So, uh, you know, in HVAC, if you can put the right amount of refrigerant in something, that is a, that is a very specific air conditioning technical skill that you, that you have. And, and people can teach you that. But um, planning for that job, for example, know, okay. knowing that you've got the materials on the truck, knowing that you've talked to the homeowner and they know what's going on, knowing that or being able to, to deal with the tactics of getting it done. You know, something that, that I've said a lot to my guys uh, when they get to, to worrying about whether or not, for example, they can solder copper correctly. Mm-hmm. I tell them, look, there is no universe in which you're an HVAC tech that does not know how to solder copper or mm-hmm. to brace copper together. Mm-hmm. So you, do, you definitely need to work on it, but stop worrying about that because that's mm-hmm. going to happen. Mm-hmm. But there's a huge universe out there in which you're an HVAC tech that never puts the torches back correctly and and they get damaged and and that could just go on for your entire career and it will always just be something that keeps you from getting ahead um the way that you talk to customers for example right i mean Mm -hmm. the the way there's an empathy there that you have to have you can't just come at it with you know it's 100 percent you you've got to listen to them you've got to look at them you got to read their face Mm -hmm. um you're you're trying to deliver something of value to them and if you don't pay attention, you're not going to be able to do that. So those kind of soft skills where it's just, you know, you you could split that up into cleanliness, punctuality, Mm -hmm. um, deportment or demeanor in Mm -hmm. front of someone, um, how well they work with other techs. Like there's a, you know, in in the technical world, it's very easy to blame or to, or to uh, 
just say that the guy who was right there before you is the dumbest tech in the world. Sure. You know, so he was <laughs> like, oh my God, I can't believe it. And, you know, things like that. You, you really should not do that as, mm-hmm. as, as a technician, right? I mean, look, looking at your industry as a whole and, and, and trying to see how you're going to fit in and actually uh, make something good happen rarely comes from you trashing whoever went there before. So th- those kind of things that, you know, honestly don't know where people would learn that. We, we try to enforce it at, at the job or at, at work, but what that really depends on is the level to which it's already happening at the job anyway. So for right. example, at Indoor Weather Pros, we may be pretty good now at, at being um, very respectful, but, but uh, engaging our clients. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we don't, you know, we don't try to trick them into things. We mm-hmm. talk very directly mm-hmm. and we, and we like our, our business. So mm-hmm. the fact that it's like that right now makes it a lot easier for a new person coming in to, to adopt that, that uh, way of being because everybody around them is doing it. Right. But um, if you don't have that strong culture already, and you bring in new people, you're just fighting it the whole time, trying, trying to theoretically outline how they should be acting, but they don't have anybody to mimic. They mm-hmm. don't see the other guys doing it. Um, and that gets hard. So I'm hearing you say leadership's important. So, and you model that as the business owner. Um, so a lot of the soft skills are going to trickle down from how you treat customers and the way you talk about customers, for instance. So um, what, you know, when we think about things like apprenticeships and internships and on the job training, um, earn while you learn, all of these different terms we, we toss around in the education space. Um, I think one thing we consistently hear is that's where some of those skills are picked up. They're more caught than taught, as we often say. Mm-hmm. Um, and really, a lot of it depends on the quality of your internship. And like you mentioned, who you actually work for and work with. Um, so would you like to talk a little bit about some of your internship experiences? You, you mentioned one earlier, but what were some of the professional skills you may have caught without even realizing it early on in your career? Um, people are different for me. I think I probably had an early problem with authority. <laughs> so my parents, if they hear this, are going to be laughing. Uh, but that was definitely something, uh, you know, I, I went right into a refinery that, um, you know, like I said, it was mind blowing. It was, it was really cool. It had, it had a lot to do with what I had been studying. Um, but when I got there, I realized, you know, there's, there are hierarchies in their way that things work. So you've got these guys who are led by this guy, these other guys over here who are led by this guy. They're not necessarily working on the same goals <laughs> and the company succeeds by, by how well that interplay plays out. So, mm-hmm. um, I definitely learned a lot about things like, appearances. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you, you, you tend to, when you're young and idealistic, oh, appearances don't matter. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really what you're doing. Mm-hmm. But my internship knocked that out of me. It was, it was something where I realized that, no, you, you really have to sell yourself in a certain way. And it's, it's, you know, I think if you do it well, it, it's not, it's not a lie. Mm-hmm. You're not faking it. You're just making sure that what you're actually doing is, you know, it appears to everyone that that's what you're doing. So integrity, integrity, right. Yeah. That's great. So tell me a little bit, I, I'm really interested in this question about, I think, you know, you and I have talked about this before, um, the difference between what high school trains you for and what you can expect to see in the real world, whether or not you're going into the trades or not. And so one of the things I'd really like to talk to you about is how do you how do you bridge that gap in, in the 
professional trades. What are some thoughts that you might have about how to get kids involved in trade school, interested in trade school again, and raise the profile of those sorts of um, opportunities vis-a-vis college? Because a lot of kids are told, hey, college is the way. If you don't go to college, you're a loser. Um, What are some ways you think that um, maybe businesses could play a role in changing that narrative? Yeah, that is that is a hard one, and we definitely battle it. And I've just been speaking with some plumbing people in town, and that is probably one of the hardest uh, trades to recruit from, for, for the obvious silly reasons. But but um, you know, how, how do you change that? I, I don't know. I honestly, mm-hmm. don't. Um, I, I would say though that having company involvement is has got to help. That. Um, I mentioned Luis Castillo before. He's mm-hmm. he's the director of CTE at, at ACC, and I've talked to him quite a bit about that. I have to get y'all in touch. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, he he actually he's pretty dedicated to this idea, and he actually spends a lot of his time going over, um, well, trying to get businesses to come in and either uh, give presentations to the class or come in and recruit directly from the classes. But he really tries to get them in contact with each other. Mm-hmm. And uh, his philosophy is just that the, the business is driving his curriculum. Mm-hmm. So he always wants that relationship to be strong and, and, and to be a big feedback loop. Uh, but he but he definitely brings them in. And I think that helps with what you're talking about, where the students can actually see a professional or someone who's made a career. They're obviously successful. They speak well and and they can kind of plug their their uh, their trade. One of the things, it's really interesting you, you bring that up. One of the things that we talked about with uh, Tamar Jacoby in our conversation with her was the role that employers play with educational institutions, how vitally important that is, especially for adults who may be going back and wanting to get re- retrained, right? So it's not just a matter of, um, you know, starting a program and saying, okay, 12 weeks later, I get a certificate, big deal. If 12 weeks later you have an actual job at the end of that, or at least the promise of an interview, it makes all the difference in the world, right? And so and so the success of these programs can largely be measured by, hey, what are the actual occupational outcomes after a year, two years, three years, versus just how many, you know, certificates have I stacked up, right, over time, which is something that, you know, sounds a little bit crude if you're saying, okay, well, is that the only value of education? On the other hand, for trade schools, it's a pretty clear value proposition. Yeah, I think. I mean, I, I would agree, and, and I would say that that. I mean, that's a, that's a philosophical question, right? What right. Is, what is the point of education? Now, it's it, that's going to be different depending on what you're doing. Sure. But, um, I do think that for a a very very large number of American kids, high school, it just absolutely has to be to be able to to provide for yourself. Right. You you need a job. Right. Just period. Right. Um. I'm a huge fan personally of a liberal education. Mm-hmm. Um, I spend all my time reading stuff that has nothing to do with anything that I do for a living. Mm-hmm. I love it. Mm-hmm. But as far as just targeted education for people that, that currently do not have a way to provide for themselves, they, they need a job. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. This true for, for most people. And, and I think there's a piece of this that, that you brought up earlier that I really want to emphasize, which is the joy of working with your hands. I, I'd love it if you talk a little bit about that, because I think for a lot of us eggheads, 
Um, you know, we we have uh, very few things we actually get to do every day that are impacted by our, our skills, essentially, other than our verbal skills. So I'd love to hear you talk a little bit about the different difference in, in between going from a more white collar kind of a job to a more blue collar kind of a job and the way it on a day to day basis makes you feel at the end of the day. So engineering in general, I, back in the day, I used to call it the white blue collar job. Mm-hmm. So I think it was, it's already starting to bridge that mm-hmm. because it is often so physical mm-hmm. um, unless, unless you're dealing like when I was in the semiconductor industry, sometimes we dealt with stuff that obviously you can't touch it, but, mm-hmm. but you might be touching it through a, a scanning electron microscope, mm-hmm. right? But you're not actually touching it. Mm-hmm. Um, but there, but I think with engineering, there's already kind of a connection there. Um, one of the things that I would that I would say about enjoying working with your hands, if I could back up for a second to something else you said, mm-hmm. um, and that is that instead of trying to find something you're passionate about mm-hmm. and then making that your career, I know everybody gets told that, but I just I don't believe it not, not for two seconds. So to me, it's find something you're good at mm-hmm. and become you can develop passion over it. Right. But I mean, for example, like air conditioning, am I really passionate about sitting in an attic, staring at a piece of equipment? Like, I mean, I don't hate it, Mm -hmm. but that's not what I wake up in the morning and think about doing. But the thing is, is I'm good at it and I am passionate about being good at it. I'm passionate about being able to go into somebody's house, seeing a problem where there's been like three or four other companies come through and not be able to fix it. And and I can go, Hey, I got an idea. Let's try this out. And if it, and, and if it works, yeah, I'm super passionate about that result. Mm-hmm. But anyway, and it's kind of a, 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 a tangent to what you're asking, but, but the idea behind the, the physical hands-on stuff is, is yes, it is very immediately rewarding. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I have the luxury of having been on both sides of that. So mm-hmm. I spent a ton of time in a cube, a ton of time doing analysis. Um, everything was through software and mm-hmm. that has its rewards too. Mm-hmm. And I think Again, you just have to, if you're good at it, you become passionate about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is definitely a, there's definitely something nice about having that very short feedback loop. You know, you, you go up against a machine. It's almost like playing adult video games. You just go up on a roof. The thing was broken. You battle it for a couple of, of minutes and then you win and it, and it comes back on. And it's, it's a really good feeling. You're off to the next, to the next uh, challenge. That's really interesting. It kind of gets back to something you were talking about before. And I think it's this problem solving thing, right? Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's both a soft skill and a hard skill, right? In the sense that you That's have true. to have yeah. some knowledge of how these things work, but then there is also this, um, you know, thinking outside the box part of, of solving those challenges. And I'm wondering, you know, how do we help kids catch that? You know, I think the only way to do it is by doing it, not by talking about it. And that's the the work-based learning aspect of this is showing kids exact, showing them exactly how rewarding it is to actually get that AC unit working yep. after it's been off on a hot summer day. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, in, and in construction specifically, a lot of it is just seeing the just the way it all comes together. So, so in that case, you know, there's nothing to fix. It's, mm-hmm. There's just nothing there. Right. But when you're done, if you can stand back and look at it and, and you're just proud of the way that your stuff looks in that, in that half built house, uh-huh. that is, that is, you know, that's definitely the source of a lot of pride. And I, and I yeah. say that from my own uh, experience, but also mm-hmm. that's probably the one thing I get the most um, candid feedback from my, from my technicians about mm-hmm. is that, uh, 
they'll I'll I'll just I'll be at the office and I'll get a text message and it's just a picture, you know, and, awesome. from some guys who didn't even say anything, but I know what he's doing. He's saying, check that out. Look at that. And you know, he knows it's awesome. So he's just kind of mic drop, you know, and I'm going home for the day. So, and I know that they really, they really appreciate that. And, and a lot of those guys are, uh, you know, especially when, when you do it bad, uh-huh. you look at it, you tear it down, you go back again. And then, and then when you, once you get good at it, it's just, it looks cool. You know, we, we get, we get general contractors coming by mentioning, mentioning things to them. Sometimes the homeowners will come in and go, Oh my God, that's so cool. So there's, there's definitely that. That's amazing. Um, kind of making me want to, want to, uh, start a new career actually <laughs> selling it pretty well. So tell me a little bit about, um, how you think about, um, sourcing talent. So do you think about it in terms of, Hey, I want to go out and find people with X, Y, and Z certification. Is that something that matters? If so, which kinds of certification? Are you primarily thinking in terms of what kinds of formal education? Are you looking for a portfolio, essentially, of work? Um, this is more of a general question about how you source talent for a, you know, a small business that's in the construction trades, but, you know, is, is hoping to grow. So it is, I think, the, the natural first step you do is, is if, if you, if I had never thought about this and, and you just asked me that question, mm-hmm. I would say, well, I, I need somebody with an HVAC, with an HVAC certificate because in my mind I'm thinking, okay, this, that's going to be a run of the mill person with all these other good traits who is trained specifically in the industry that I'm in. Mm-hmm. Um, but then fast forward to reality and it's just, that is not how I think anymore. Mm-hmm. So, um, part of the reason is this, like, I, I made a, I'm, made a little list of some categories of stuff. So just real quick, I'll read them off, but you know, the HVAC specific skills, um, equipment. So HVAC specific, that's just anything that's just air conditioning, right? It's not, it's not driving a car. It's not anything else. It's not framing. It's just air conditioning. Um, equipment would be things like, you know, tools of the trade Mm -hmm. pumps. Do you use a drill motor, sawzall, whatever torches, um, calculations. Now for me specifically in the trades, when I say calculations and I'm talking math, it's different than the math that I did as an engineer. Mm-hmm. Um, but only kind of, so mm-hmm. part of it is like, I would break the math into two, two types of things. One is like, you need to be able to do calculations in your head quickly because the technician exists in this kind of pinch between you know, the motion and the act between the idea and the reality. It's just, he has to make it happen right there, right now. There's not a whole lot of, of mathematical minutia he needs to get into. It's things like look across the room and go, I'm going to need 25 more feet of that three eighths copper. Okay. I mean, that, technically, you know, is that math or is, is that not math? I don't know. But there, but there's that element of it for a technician. You you have to exist in that pinch point between theoretical and and actual. Um, then, as you move up in your career, the theoretical becomes more and more important because you're probably going to be getting into things like design. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, that's that's HVAC specific skills. That's equipment. That's calculations. The other two, I would say, software. I don't I don't even know how that gets categorized, but just can you use a phone app? Can you use a, a laptop? 
can you get on the internet and find stuff? Mm-hmm. You'd think most people could, mm-hmm. but it's, it's not, that's mm-hmm. not always the case. Mm-hmm. Um, we, everybody's got their specific, uh, you know, customer management software too. So mm-hmm. if you have any, any sort of affinity for that kind of thing, that's going to help. Mm-hmm. Um, the last sub, the last uh, category was just what I would call academic subjects. And that is just things like, it's probably the first thing that the, that the people in my world want to dismiss as mm-hmm. silly and book learning, mm-hmm. but it is, it is critical. Now mm-hmm. I get, you can't just, I don't mean that like everybody needs a PhD in, in, in something. It's just that there are, there are certain fields of study that you need to be familiar with. So in the case of, of HVAC or refrigeration, mm-hmm. you know, this is going to sound crazy, but vapor liquid equilibrium, right? Mm-hmm. That's all we do. You've mm-hmm. got liquid refrigerant mm-hmm. being forced into a vapor mm-hmm. phase and you, a technician really does like not, not in order to put something together correctly, but mm-hmm. in order to get anywhere long-term in the field, mm-hmm. they do need to understand those relationships right mm-hmm. now. I'm chemical engineering. So that's what we grew up on. And mm-hmm. I went from that to the physical, these guys are going to be going from the physical to that, mm-hmm. but they definitely need it. Mm-hmm. Um, electrical stuff mm-hmm. right just just v equals ir like you have to know that um and maybe you don't have to you can probably get by without it but but if you're gonna ever fully develop in in the industry you've got to understand that kind of stuff so uh to get back to your question what i was looking for if, when i'm sourcing students mm-hmm. is that initially i would have just said hey that hvac specific stuff mm-hmm. but nowadays i think you know what that's probably the HVAC specific stuff is probably the one thing that I can teach on the job better than any of those other things. Mm-hmm. So if you come to me and you can't do math in your mm-hmm. head, mm-hmm. and I don't mean crazy, I just mean, you know, what's the cross-sectional area of that round duct versus that square one? Or if you mm-hmm. have to go from round to square, just make sure the cross-sectional area is the same. Can you do that in your head or not? Or mm-hmm. I mean, you scratch it on a two by four, but you, you get the point. Right? Yeah. But if you can't do that even remotely, mm-hmm. it's going to hinder you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, square footage of a room, square footage of a window, mm-hmm. just simple, simple geometric stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, that's hard to t- to teach. Mm-hmm. Um, the the uh, the ac- the kind of the thing I turned termed academic subjects. Mm-hmm. That's also very hard to teach mm-hmm. in the field. Mm-hmm. So you know, I, it's I do it. Don't get me wrong. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I've I've had guys. It's and it's different. You know, I've had mm-hmm. guys standing out in the back of our shop, and I've got the the breaker panel open Mm -hmm. with the wires coming right off the pole, just two big old (laughs) chunky wires. And I'm sitting there telling the guy, Hey, look, I'm going to stick my finger on that. Like you dial nine, one and wait. Okay. (laughs) You know, but I'm joking with them, but it's like, Hey, you know, Mm -hmm. I wouldn't be telling you that. I believe me. I'm not going to stick my finger on that. If it's going to like knock me into the next County. Right. So I am teaching them things about electricity Mm -hmm. and I want them to understand it, but it, but that takes so much time mm-hmm. on the job mm-hmm. and it's, it's not as easy as the HVAC specific stuff because the HVAC specific stuff comes up all the time. Sure. If they don't know how to, how to use a set of manifold gauges or they don't know how to charge refrigerant, well, they're going to do that a hundred times in a year. Sure. But trying to calculate uh, volumes or areas, mm-hmm. not as often. Right. And, and it's in the chances that I will be there whenever that comes up are pretty low. Right. So it's very difficult for me to, to teach that stuff. Software is another one. We, we can kind of 
can kind of teach people software, but, but like I can't, for example, just Microsoft Excel. Uh-huh. It's, it's, it's not that you need to be a big programmer. It's just that that is used in almost every business yeah. that has any kind of calculations. And the reason is because you can put them in there and you don't have to keep doing it. You just change the number. But I need technicians that get that. They mm-hmm. can actually go through an Excel spreadsheet. Now, they're, they're not going to do this every day. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's just those are the things that are very difficult to teach. Mm-hmm. And, and they usually, for in, in the field, mm-hmm. they usually that only happens when somebody is changing jobs. Mm-hmm. You've been a great tech forever. And now mm-hmm. we're going to yank you out of what you do good and put you in supervision and <laughs> give you all these spreadsheets that you got to fill out now. <laughs> then, then I might sit down and do some, some spreadsheet stuff. Mm-hmm. But so what I'm hearing, it, it seems interesting on the one hand, you know, teaching the job specific skills is something that is actually the easy part is what I'm kind of hearing from you in terms of the specific HVAC kinds of things. Um, the academic side, that's that's an interesting question. You know, for a long time, um, my dad always used to say that he learned geometry best when he was trying to solve a problem in the real world. Right. So I think some kids are just that's the way they're wired. Um and so, you know, it's kind of an interesting question of the cart before the horse, or how do you, how do you help kids see the application of the math that, cause you know, you'll hear kids say, well, when am I ever going to need this? Right? right. And I'm hearing you say, well, you use it all the time, but you use it in sort of an ad hoc, almost a gut way yes. on the job. So then how do you help, how do you help kids see that, um, really relevant <laughs> opportunity to use that math? Um, before they actually have to get on a job site and make those calculations. I know it, it's, you know, there's just a, there, there's a way that a lot of things get taught, mm-hmm. um, especially just in institutions, because mm-hmm. I think, I think that has an inherent issue that it's, it's not the, it's not the work site. Mm-hmm. So it's an institution to mm-hmm. begin with. Mm-hmm. And therefore certain things are going to be reinforced mm-hmm. over the years. But um I'm going to drop the word pedantic into here, mm-hmm. but it's okay. <laughs> there's, there's an element of, of pedantry that goes into the institutional teaching mm-hmm. that I think kills, kills it. I mean, what does it kill? It, it kills, it kills that spark that you were just mentioning. Mm-hmm. What, what is it that gets a kid interested in, and not just like, Oh, I'm never going to use any of this mm-hmm. stuff. Right. Because the, the thing is, is that, out of the examples that you were that, that were used to teach you mm-hmm. whatever, yeah, you're right. You, you're never going to use anything like that, right? right. But, the, but that's not the point. The point is that your brain was a certain way, and we just broke it and reassembled it, and now it's capable of handling all kinds of junk like this. Mm-hmm. And that's the goal. That's what you're looking for. You're looking right. for for someone who, when faced with a, a you know a, a showstopper, you know, there's an obstacle in the way all the work grinds to a halt is that is that person going to pick up the cell phone and call mommy or are they going to pop the hood and stare at it Mm -hmm. right there's there's a different personality there and what you're trying to do is create that second kind of person you know just if you know just to to continue with that analogy if if you'd been taught you know on a john deere tractor to Mm -hmm. pop the hood Mm-hmm. What well, doesn't matter that you're driving a Honda Accord later when the same thing happens or right. something happens, you're just going to pop the hood and just start thinking, right. okay, pattern recognition. I know something like this. I've just got something to go on, mm-hmm. but I'm not just going to disintegrate mm-hmm. and, and call it the office. Right. Um, so that's a, that seems like a, that seems like on that, again, on that line between soft and hard skill, which is that thing where, especially people who are trying to think through systems and how to design systems and, 
you know, what's the optimal system of education? We get caught up in these terms and we create checklists and we create, create boxes and, um, and we forget that um, humans are complex and these things, again, are often caught, not taught, which is all the more reason, you know, to your point about the institution to, to maybe to maybe get more of the applied learning involved sooner in the conversation. So at least it has the opportunity to spark those interests and um, allow kids to, to explore, you know, new aspects of their of their intellect that they may not have even realized were interesting to them. So I, th- I think you're onto something with that. There's um, uh, back when I first started, one of the first times I ever taught adults um, work stuff like mm-hmm. that, you know, like classrooms at work. Mm-hmm. Um, I taught a bunch of adults, a very specific semiconductor thing. It's mm-hmm. not even worth talking about. It's like super, super specific to the mm-hmm. department we were in. But the, the, the key to it was that you're dealing with a bunch of electromagnetic stuff that you can't see. Mm-hmm. It's all behind gigantic plates of steel. Mm-hmm. So you, you have zero window into what you're doing, but they need to learn how to do it. Mm-hmm. So, um, the first thing I did was I, I created this this uh, very you know kind of uh, example laden curriculum where I had I had uh, images and symbols and pictures to try to you know a lot of metaphor type stuff to mm-hmm. get them to understand what's going on electromagnetically mm-hmm. behind these big plates of steel that you can't see mm-hmm. and you know the idea was that if they understood all that then the twenty knobs they have to turn to get the thing to come out right. Will, will make more sense, right? So I, I spent all this time making this curriculum. Um, we, I give it to the new people and the, like just no discernibly better results than just throwing them to the to the sharks, hmm. right? So uh, I'd like to say I was brilliant and I, and I figured that out, but what actually <laughs> happened was that, that I got super swamped and we had a whole class of new people come in and I couldn't give it to them. So I'm just like, hey, best you can call me if you need something just threw them in there and then about uh somewhere three six months later uh i was like okay i've got my head above water let's get this class back going again so bring those same people into the class and when the class is over i mean they're they're half of them are clapping on the back and saying oh that was awesome the other half are going why the hell didn't you give us this the day we showed up it's just so much better i've been in there you know, just guessing and it's been all mysterious. <laughs> and I'm just sitting there going, God, that obviously this, this is just, I, I'm just going at this completely wrong. Right. I, I thought that I could explain everything and then that would make them great, but no, they need to be thrown to the sharks, get eaten alive and then come out and I'll explain to them how they got eaten alive. And then when they go back in there, they're slaying sharks. And it, it, like, there's something to that, you know, yeah. like there's, there's just, um, in, in fact, Castillo at, at ACC was telling me that, he spends a lot of time bringing companies in mm-hmm. and he likes to get them to interview people there and pick them up before they graduate. Mm-hmm. So they, they agree to uh, support that students. They don't, they don't want them to you know drop out yeah. and, and, and go just work. So the companies agree to support them to the end. But, uh, but what Luis was telling me was that, that those are the students with the questions in the class. He said, he said you know, they, they go out in the field they see something, and then that next Monday, it's just all hands. Ooh, you know, I saw this. What's going on here? And they said it just drives the class. Yeah. yeah. And you know that phenomenon is is real. It's it's something that 
I, I think when you when you become self driven, I mean, I'm you're you're obviously a self driven learner at this point, right? I don't, I don't know what you were when you were sixteen, but uh, I'm the same way. I'm mm-hmm. I'm just I'm I am the number one person driving my own learning in HVAC or anything else. Um, but the thing is, is that if I have to perform in whatever I'm studying. I do a lot of that where mm-hmm. it's, it's just like, well, I just go do it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I study a little bit, but then I just go do it because I don't have time. Then I fail mm-hmm. to some extent, go back, study some more, go back. It just like, you know, a couple of cycles of that and you're actually pretty good at something. Right. I think there's an element there that you're really, you're really describing well, which is something like skin in the game, like something yes. about failing, something about not quite getting it right is way more powerful, I think, to most people, and I don't know about every single person, but to a lot of people than simply, uh, let's say, getting a question, quote unquote, wrong in class, right? Which is really only your, you know, social status if you care about it, right? Um, Whereas getting it wrong in the real world um, is a little bit more indelible, I think. Um, Oh, yeah. And and I think there's, there's personalities there. I mean, I, you know, I can spend 45 minutes doing a New York times crossword Mm -hmm. and I will spend three and a half hours without looking it up because I won't do that. Mm -hmm. Trying to figure out the last stupid word that I can't get. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. But it's that same feeling Mm -hmm. when, when, when I'm out there trying to learn something about my industry and it's just, it's just that, that gap Mm -hmm. that's just glaring at you and and you know, you can't do it. It, It's, it's, you know, yeah. So it drives you to, to go figure it out. But, it, but again, I don't want to discount the, the failure part of it. Sure. It's just, you, it's like fail, try again, fail, try again, fail, try again. And then you start getting to like, okay, maybe, maybe this isn't a complete failure anymore. I'm actually getting kind of good at this. Doesn't mean it's hundred percent, but you mm-hmm. just keep going. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, God, if I could find people that just had that alone, mm-hmm. I think it, it would be a lot easier sourcing them. But, but yeah. you know, something, I want to go back to you, you saying something about, uh, the students having skin in the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I I paid out of pocket when I went to HVAC school. Mm-hmm. So I was I was working and I went to a night school. Mm-hmm. And that absolutely gives you skin in the game. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, you know, there's there's a lot of other stuff that goes on there. And, and you know, when it comes to education policy mm-hmm. at the state level, um, I could go on forever. But, but there's, just to kind of give you an idea of what I'm, why that was so important to me was that mm-hmm. I paid out of pocket for my school and mm-hmm. I show up, we're going, you know, four nights a week, four hours a night. And there were a couple of felons in the class who mm-hmm. were um, required to take adult education mm-hmm. as part of their parole. Mm-hmm. Uh, but because it's, you know, state requirement, they don't pay for it. Obviously mm-hmm. the state pays for it with tax mm-hmm. dollars. So um, I went into that class, sat next to those guys, they're good guys, mm-hmm. whatever, but, you know, I, I'm paying out of pocket. I when 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 the formal instruction is over, I'm out in the warehouse fixing any air conditioner I can get my hands on. Mm-hmm. I'd say eighty percent of that class was outside drinking cokes and smoking cigarettes mm-hmm. and going over to Thundercloud and across mm-hmm. the street to the to the gas station and just mm-hmm. kind of milling around. Mm-hmm. We all spent four hours mm-hmm. up there. Uh, at the end of the eleven month period, we all got the same certificate. Mm-hmm. So here right. I am. You know, I paid out of pocket. I spent all my time in there trying to learn something here. These guys are and I'm like, I wouldn't trust that guy with a wrench, mm-hmm. you know, not because of the felon part, but I mean, fixing an AC couldn't right. do it. There's no way. Right. But well, we had to sitting there with the same certificate. Right. And, and one other thing that happened was that the tuition at that school 
by the time I graduated 11 months later was already about 80% more than what I had paid. And when you think about what the incentive there is for the school, right? Mm-hmm. Like you're, you're getting state money for all these guys. Mm-hmm. You can't fail them because the state will stop sending them to you. Mm-hmm. So you pass them mm-hmm. and you collect the money and then, Oh, while we're at it, let's just, let's just crank the tuition up because we're getting it anyway. Right. So, well, you see that dynamic in a lot of places, um, for sure, uh, with tuition uh, dollars, um, definitely chasing an ever higher and higher um, price threshold. So that's interesting, though, about the certification, because we, we hear about this a lot, you know, and especially in the new um, kinds of goals in Texas, the Texas uh, 20 um, sorry, 60 by 30 goals. Um, you know, we want a certain number of the population have certi- certificates and certifications and high demand fields. And I understand the impulse behind that. It makes a lot of sense. On the other hand, I think it's important to sort of keep in mind that isn't the end all be all of where we want to be in the same way that if you measured everything based on how many people had college degrees, that wouldn't really truly give you a, um, a perfect feel for who had an education, for instance, right? And so these are important things, I think, for policymakers to keep in mind, um, which is one of the reasons that we want to keep the focus on actual outcomes like employment, because you can't fake the market. The market's going to tell you the truth most of the time. And this is, this is why, you know, you might want to have a balance when you're looking at the success of programs between, Hey, we check these boxes, we have these certifications versus, Hey, two years later, people have a job that pays above a certain, you know, threshold. Um, And I think that's important to me because it's, it's, how many of your students are actually out there working and what's, what's the total dollars that they're paying? Right. I mean, how, how much more do you need to look? Right. That's, I think that's one of the reasons to get industry involved mm-hmm. um, in, in whatever programs you've got going. Right. But it, it also just highlights the, just the inherent problems when you have, you know, if you're just divvying up tax dollars, giving those to schools for a certain outcome, okay, well, mm-hmm. you're paying for that outcome. Mm-hmm. You're going to get it. Mm-hmm. So if you're looking for, for the, the number of certificates issued, you're going to get it because you're paying for it. I mean, they're going to give you what you're paying for. Right. And it also creates these strange incentives too, where that, you know, let's say the certificates are a certain number and a certain kind. And just like you say, okay, that is exactly what the institutions are going to be looking at. They're not going to be looking at farther afield. They're not going to be looking at other industries that might be growing, uh, new and emerging technologies, any of the dynamic things that happen in a real marketplace. Um, they kind of get frozen in time. It's the knowledge problem that Hayek talked about all the time. Um, th- these questions are, are actually central to what we're trying to do here as we think about career and technology education in the 21st century, we hear about 21st century skills. What I'm hearing you saying is there's an interplay between the soft skills and the hard skills. There's something about learning and failing and learning and failing and learning and doing it again that we miss if we simply measure inputs in education. If we simply measure the amount of seat time a student has versus um, what their actual outcomes are. And so I just wanted to kind of leave it on the note of what, what would you like for our listeners to know or, or to learn or to look more into um, to better understand what um, what small businesses are looking for right now? I think a big one is for any any business owners out there that are hearing this, mm-hmm. any way they can get involved, mm-hmm. it, it'll it'll certainly help. I mean, that's yeah. that's a that's something that you know we we chose to work with ACC. Mm-hmm. Um, I met Luis 
years ago. Mm -hmm. one, one of my best guys I got from his program. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, that I've gone and talked to them, uh, give a little presentation here and there, meet the students. Um, but that, that is one thing I would say that, that if, if you are a business owner or you're, you're a department owner or something like that, you have some kind of influence, um, physically engaging with the education system, it, we need it because, because it just, uh, I, I think that will just keep that feedback loop going for one thing. That's exactly right. We need more of that. We need more of that feedback loop um, so that our institutions are accountable to taxpayers and to students. Thank you so much, Chris, for joining me today on this on this episode of Road to Recovery. Thanks a lot, Eric. Thanks for joining us on today's episode of the Road to Recovery podcast. Life in a post-COVID economy will depend on the creative responses that are arising all around us.